Oh, man. Wow. Um, it is a pleasure to be back in Lillington, um, and um, it's just uh, wonderful, uh, wonderful to be back. Um, our Old Testament lesson this morning uh, is from 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord said, Samuel, Samuel. And he said, Here I am. And ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again. Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time. He got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears it tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house, from beginning to end, for I have told him I am about to punish his house forever, for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be expiated by the sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay there until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli came to Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Then he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was a trustworthy prophet of the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. It was not rare because of a practicing faithful. Samuel was ministering to the Lord. We find earlier at the beginning of 1 Samuel that his entire family would travel every year to offer the ritual sacrifices of burnt offering and meat. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. It was not because they didn't have the proper setup for worship according to the laws and ordinances of, the, of Scripture. We read that Samuel slept in the temple where the ark of God was. The ark, the ark of the covenant, the physical marker of God's presence among the Israelites. 
the ark that they built in Sinai and carried through their exodus so that they knew God was leading them to a promised land. It sat in their temple, and next to it, according to the commands of Moses, would have sought the book of the law, the Torah, the word of the Lord. But the word of the Lord was rare in those days. It was not because there was some missing qualified person. There was Eli. And Eli was an institution. He was the high priest. He came from a long line of high priests. And his ancestors, the Levites, were the ones who carried that ark out of the desert. Eli was a good man and a good priest, but his sons were not. His sons, Hopni and Phinehas, used their father's position in the community to benefit themselves. First Samuel describes how when people would come with offerings and sacrifices of meat to the temple, a son would come with a fork and take it for himself. He would say, give it to the priest to roast, using his position of religious authority to steal the food. Or he would say, no, you must give it to me now. If not, I will take it by force. So if that spiritual and emotional manipulation was not enough, the sons would resort to violently stealing from the faithful. Even worse, 1 Samuel also describes how the sons would use their positions of power to coerce women who served the Ark of the Covenant to sleep with him. And Eli knew what they were doing. He would tell them to stop, and they would not listen. And he did not remove them from their priestly roles or separate him from the temple or his family. We do not know why Eli took no action against them. It may have been to protect the sacred facade of the institution of the temple and the ark, to protect the reputation of his family and legacy. It may have been out of a distorted fatherly love for his scoundrel sons that stopped him from giving them any consequences. He just maintained a white-knuckled grip on the status quo. And so the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And without the word of the Lord, Eli is presiding over temple practices that have no life. They're going through the motions. But there is a dwindling spirit. The ark of the God is still important, at least superficially. People pay their respects, but there is no presence. There is no connection to the God who brought them out of Egypt and the wilderness of Sinai. And there is declining trust in the servants of the temple who are supposed to be the facilitators of that relationship. So when Eli heard a woman named Hannah praying for a child all night in the temple, he assumed she was drunk. When Eli heard the anguish Hannah was in and felt her genuine faith, he saw something and blessed her. And after that, Hannah, after years of childlessness, years of tears at that temple, years of judgment from others, she gave birth to Samuel. And she took Samuel to the temple to grow up there, giving her child to God. In a time of cynicism and despair, there are these moments of hope, these sparks of revival. I believe this moment of history in the history of ancient Israel can provide some lesson for our times today. Our common life is mediated through good but flawed institutions who, after years of refusing to acknowledge their own vulnerability and imperfection, face a crisis of public trust and seek private soul-searching. Now, there's an easy impulse to simply make this only a connection between Eli and the American church. 
talking about the references in 1 Samuel to declining numbers, scandals, and identity crisis offer easy comparison. But there are enough sermons, books, workshops, and conferences that single out the church's specific institutional decline when every single American institution is now facing the same crisis. I saw just this past week the American Economic Association, the biggest group of everyone from uh, professors to uh, professional economists and presidential advisors, their last president just won the Nobel Prize for economics. In their report, they found that since 2019, attendance at their annual conference has been cut in half. Membership is down 20%. Submissions to their journals are down 12%. And so in other words, they are now encountering fewer people showing up, giving less money, and no one is volunteering for anything. And they are shocked at this new problem that no one else has had. But to us, it sounds familiar. Surveys track the trust that people put in institutions over time. And across the board, numbers are at historic lows. When Pew asked if the respondents had a great deal of confidence in various organizations, only 32% of respondents said that they had great trust in the church. And that sounds low, and it is. But of all institutions they asked about, we were top five. The rest of American institutions, newspapers, schools, banks, companies, every branch of government, all rock bottom rates of trust. This also shows up in our personal relationships. Our likelihood to think of another person as trustworthy has dropped significantly in the last 50 years. And we've seen the downstream effects of that in division and polarization, anger and fear, anxieties about the nature of our democracy itself. Now, I don't offer this as more talk of the problems of the church, or especially not to offer any solutions that some seminarian might pontificate about. Instead, I think this is an opportunity for the church. That what so many are trying to respond to at this moment in all the Rotary Clubs and Masons and every institution and bowling league that is facing these issues, that the church has faced and talked about and discerned, that this for us is actually an ancient concern. That Eli, through his actions, we saw how he was responsible for the sad state of the institution of the temple in his time. And he is also the one who identifies the voice of God for Samuel. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. The word of the Lord was no longer rare in those days. And it took Eli, flawed man that he was, the flawed institution that the temple was, to work with Samuel to recognize and reveal the word of the Lord in that moment. We, the church, in spite of our brokenness, have a unique calling to listen for and identify where the voice of God might be speaking within our community. So what words would be our response? Here I am. 
Those echo in 1 Samuel back throughout the entire witness of the Hebrew scriptures to Abraham and Isaac, Moses before the burning bush. Those words, here I am, are not simply geographic, but vocational. They are aspect of our being, that here I am, here I stand before God. And then to listen and receive, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. The hard part then is responding to what we hear. Imagine the boy Samuel, young, and it's interesting in the reading that it doesn't say that Samuel can go back to sleep after. It just says that he lies until morning, awake, probably trying to think to himself of what he's going to tell Eli. It's a hard word to tell someone that their family and all the injustice part of it would be judged by God. But Samuel goes to Eli afraid and it is also not only hard to speak a, a word of what you receive from God, but it's also hard to receive it graciously. And that is what Eli does. He comes and wants Samuel to, uh, to say the word to him, to, for him to accept this word. And this is a conversation and a conversion moment from Samuel, who had previously not experienced the word of God It hadn't been revealed to him, and now he becomes a prophet. And not just any prophet, but a trustworthy prophet is how this passage ends it. That he, in his ministry, is not only speaking the word of God throughout the land, but restoring public trust and confidence in the institutions that make their common life possible. I believe we can prepare our institutions, communities, and maybe even our nation to respond to moments sparks of revival by listening in our own hearts for the voice of God. This doesn't happen in spontaneous moments out of nowhere, but it is a practice that we can cultivate by, I, uh, by setting aside time to be open to the Holy Spirit. And if we don't know where to start, we might as well start with those ancient words, here I am. And if in that quiet space that you set in that practice, if you feel led in a certain direction, but not sure if you're discerning God's call, compare it to the witness of Scripture, the fruits of the Spirit, the example of Jesus from this Gospel's passage, who calls us to follow him, to come and see. And finally, it's a practice for cultivating the space for the Holy Spirit. We have to listen as a community. It took more than just Eli or just Samuel, but together, to listen together and follow the words that they heard wherever they might lead. If we open ourselves to these practices, we will see, hopefully, that the word of the Lord is not rare in these days. It is moving like a wildfire. It's growing like a weed from a mustard seed. Here I am. Here we are. Use us, use this church, use our flawed selves and institutions that we might listen for the Spirit's movement in and through our brokenness as God makes all things new. Amen.